we just got back from a little vacation and uh, we spent some time at an aquarium and there's different uh, exhibits throughout the aquarium, different places where you stop, uh, different paragraphs and dates and numbers written. And I was thinking, especially as 1 John 3 verse 1 tells us, right, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What John is asking us to do is to sit down and to think about and to ponder on what type of love, what kind of love is this that God has bestowed upon us. And there at that uh, aquarium and in museums, you kind of realize that there's usually two different types of people at these different places, right? You have that one person, that's me. I get to an exhibit, I sit there, I look at it. All right, we did it. All right, what's the next exhibit, right? I get to the next exhibit, I sit there, I look at everything. Okay, I did it, right? What's the next exhibit, right? And as I was going through it, Amanda goes, are we in a hurry? Are we, are we going anywhere? Is there something else we got to do? Oh, no. There's, no, 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 honey. We, we got nowhere else to go, right? And what you realize, and I think it's usually you're married to the opposite museum person, right? <laughs> and the opposite museum person, they get to each exhibit and they look at it, right? They're able to sit. They're able to ponder. Oh, look at this paragraph written about this, right? Got to read the whole paragraph, right? <laughs> read the dates. It's as if there's like a pop quiz at the end of the museum that... If you don't pass, they don't let you out. You got to stay trapped there, right, to, you know, every single thing. And that's what John is asking us to do here in verse 1. He's saying he wants the whole church, everyone that he's writing to, every time that we read this, he wants us to stop and ponder. He's saying, behold, I present to you this manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. And it's so important. I don't know when was the last time you just sort of sat down, turned off all the distractions, and just pondered, right, to, to muse, to chew on, Lord, how great and incredible is this love that you have towards me. And in a day and age where many people believe that they are owed certain things, this pondering, this sitting down and realizing this incredible love that God has given us should give us a spirit of gratitude a spirit of grace, a spirit of kindness, and truly the spirit of Jesus should grow and flourish within us if we are sitting down and considering the incredible and gracious love that God has towards us. There's three things I sort of wrote down, three P's for these uh, 10 verses we hope to get through. The first thing we should be doing is it's to ponder. We should ponder. We should ponder on this incredible love, on his incredible love, which he has bestowed upon us. The second thing we'll see later on is that we should purify ourselves. We should be being purified just as Jesus himself is pure. We're never going to become sinless in this flesh, in this life, but we should be sinning less and less. So first we should ponder, second we should purify, and thirdly we should purpose to be like our parent. Purpose to be like our parent. We're going to realize, John, he gives us two reasons why Jesus came into this world. Two reasons why Jesus stepped down from heaven, from perfection, from perfect unity and perfect love between him, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Two reasons why he did that. First and foremost, it was to take away sin, and it was to destroy the works of the devil. 
And here this morning, it might be a heart check. It might be some tough love for you because John, he's going to reveal to us that there are only two categories in this whole life, in this whole world. There are sons of God and there are sons of the devil. And there's no in-between. There's no gray area. There's no middle area. There's no brown area. There's no lost area. He divides it into those two places. So we should purpose to be like our parents. And if God sent his only begotten son in order to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil, we should ask ourselves, what side of that coin are we on? Are we seeking to take away sin within our own lives and the people we love? Are we seeking to destroy the works of the devil before the devil destroys us and the people that we love? Or are we possibly on the wrong team? So back to verse 1, right? It tells us, see how great a love the Father, right, has bestowed upon us. What manner, what type, what kind of love is this that God would have for us? The power of Jesus, right? We know in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, the disciples, they're, they're blown away at how Jesus, he's in the middle of a nap. There's an incredible storm. They're taking in water. They're professional fishermen. And now they're freaking out. They wake up Jesus and say, do you not even care about us? We're all going to die. Jesus wakes up, right? He's half asleep, right? And he just says, peace, be still. And that's it. The storm stops. And they all freak out. What, what, what type of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? We know Jesus, when dealing with a demoniac, all he has to say is, get out of him, Right? And it's gone. Years of pain, years of trial, years of torment, and it's gone. At the end of age, right, in the book of Revelation, the last battle, it's not some great battle that a movie would pick up on and we'd be on the edge of our seat. Jesus and hopefully we on his team are going to be lined up behind them and the enemy and the Antichrist and all the people that bow down to him are going to be on the other side. And the way it ends is Jesus simply speaking, right? And this is the power of Jesus, and yet this power and might is equal to or pales in comparison to the way that we should look at this love that God has given to each and every one of us. It's incredible, right? John 15 verse 13, it tells us, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than that. And even for us today, how many people would we be really willing to lay our life down for, right? How many people are we really willing to take a bullet for or to push them out of the way and take that train, take that car, whatever it may be, right? Maybe some of the parents here, hopefully the parents here, right, you're willing to sacrifice your own life to save your sons or daughters, Hopefully some of the husbands here, they're willing to sacrifice their life to save their, their wife, to save their spouse. Maybe a friend, right? There's no greater love than willing to give your own life for your friend, for your own loved one. Maybe you're here and you're saying, eh, you're my friend, but you're not that much of a friend, right? I think now in view of John 15, you're more of an acquaintance than a friend, right? You're, you're just a coworker. You're not, you're not really a friend, right? There's no greater love than this. But in Romans chapter 5, we can turn there. In verse 6, we see the depth of God's love towards us. You see, we were not just his friend when he died for us, but we were on the opposite side. 
In fact, we were his enemy. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, it tells us, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, he died for his own enemies. That, that goes completely against our makeup. We see our enemies and we say they should die. That's the whole point of the game. That's the whole point of the war, right? Is that they should die and I should live. But that's not what Jesus did for us. Jesus, while we were yet his enemies, he said, you know what? I'm going to die for him. I'm going to come down and humble myself, learn how to be a baby, learn how to walk, learn how to talk, and live a perfect life and die for Zach, even though right now he's my enemy. Again, what kind of love dies for someone who doesn't even love them back? Right? Maybe right now you're estranged from a family member, a friend, and you're saying, I wouldn't die for them. They don't even care about me. They don't even love me. We, we ended things on a terrible note. But yet God, he's willing to, to love us, to die for us. And this is a love, right? What manner of love? It's something that's not from this world. It's completely foreign to this world. It's a love given to someone who does not deserve it. Someone who's not even reciprocating it yet. And that's when Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to die for them. And it's what? It's that free gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, it's only God's goodness, you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Family, what did you do to deserve this gift of love being bestowed upon you? Nothing. We've done nothing to deserve it. Nor will we ever do anything that now we all of a sudden deserve it. We'll never get to a certain level, a certain amount of years at church, a certain amount of years in Christianity, where now we can say, I've arrived and now I've earned this salvation. It's been a free gift. And what's the word that he uses? He uses the word to bestow. That word bestow, it's to lavish. It's not that he's given us a small sample of his love, a small taste of his love. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm just going to give you just enough of my love to get by. But instead, it's something huge. It's something grand. It's something um, incredible, right? Maybe you had that. I had that, right? Hispanic grandma, right? And whenever you'd go to their house, they wouldn't give you just a little bit of food, right? They would lavish you with food, right? It'd be ice cream and bocaditos and then mata with leche condensada inside of it, right? And more and more and more. Abuela, un poquitico, right? And then they give you one plate and two plate and three, just lavishing it upon us. And that's how the Lord has treated us with his love. He lavishes it upon us. And it's a great and powerful love. And we have to be careful because sometimes, right, maybe I'm the only one. We get to points in life and we ask God, do you even love me? Have you ever been there? When you sort of look up and you shake your fist at God and you say, do you even love me? Do you even care about me? Right, that's when we need to remember the cross. He's given us the best he can give. 
He's given us the most that he has to offer in the death of Jesus Christ, his son, to purchase our freedom from sin and from death and to adopt us as his sons and daughters. What type of love is this? You go to Romans chapter 8, and it speaks to us on how powerful this love is. It's not a fly-by-night type of love, uh, an in-and-out, just a couple X's and O's on a piece of paper, right? Know the depth of this love. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It tells us, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, family, so incredible, this love. And now that he would be willing to call us his sons and daughters, and such are we. Again, it's not that he just saves us and just sends us along our merry way. He does say, okay, Zach, you were going completely against me. You were my enemy. You were going against the will of God. So now I'm going to save you and just send you on your way. I'm just going to spin the universe into orbit and throw it out there and stand back. No, he adopts us. He brings us in as his sons and daughters, right? It's as if a lifeguard saves your life and he doesn't just stop there. But now he invites you over his house. He gives you a meal. He adopts you into his family. Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, it tells us that we might receive adoption as sons because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, family, we've been adopted. And we weren't adopted because we were super cute, right? He didn't go into the adoption agency and say, oh my goodness, look at this little Zach, right? Just, I, I need one of those, right? He didn't look at us and see our giftings. We may look at our giftings and think we're incredible, right? He didn't see us and look at our giftings and say, oh my goodness, I need this guy on my team. No. Quite on the contrary, we were weak. We're terrible, right? Uh, imagine, again, you're here and you're, you're home and you're cooking dinner and all of a sudden your spouse comes home with someone who's homeless, right? And says, hey, I picked them up. They needed food, so I decided to feed them. And you think... Okay, I got to be a Christian here, so let's cook the meal, right? Let's cook the meal, let's feed them, and then they'll be on their merry way. But no, then your spouse says, no, 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 we're, we're going to, that guest room you have, that work room that you have, your man cave, no, we're going to clear that out. We're going to allow him to move in here and, and live in here, right? Yeah, honey, but what about the kids? What about our stuff? What about all of oh, everything we said? No, let's bring him in. No, let's, let's adopt him. Let's put him on the will, on the deed of the home. Honey, you've got me. We're calling George Lee. Something's going on here, right? But that's what God has done for each and every one of us. There's nothing cute about us. There's nothing incredible about us. No, we are. We were sinners saved by his grace. Right? Ken Graves, oftentimes he talks about salvation, right? Jesus coming from a different life form to save us as a human being going into a den of maggots to save them, right? But in Miami, I think what strikes us closer to home, it's a group of mosquitoes, right? No one loves mosquitoes. My kids love animals right now, and none of them are like, oh, look how cute that mosquito is, right? Never, ever, ever. 
Imagine your neighbor, right? They've called Mosquito Joe or whatever insect company, right? They're going to fog their whole house. And you say, no, not the mosquitoes, right? You go back there and you're looking at them. You're letting them bite you and eat you up, right? And you say, you know, I need to, I need to send my only son to save them. I, I got I to gotta get Levi or Luke, right? And I got to transform them into a mosquito so that he could speak to them and so that he could save them. And I'm going to bring them into my house. I'm going to give them their own room, right? I'm going to fill up the bathtub with lukewarm water and just let them grow and live. Because and, I love them, because I care for them. See, family, again, that's us. We're not on the same level as God. We are not that great. We are not that awesome. We constantly sin and fall short. And yet, he loved us to send his only begotten son to die for us, to resurrect, again, to give us power over sin and power over death. So maybe you're here and you're depressed. I encourage you, ponder, sit down and think about this great and incredible love of God. Maybe you're here and you think everybody around you has got everything in the world. I encourage you, sit down and really think about God's incredible love for you. And in those times of worship, I sort of think of my life and the years that have gone by and how the Lord saved me and where was that and going against His will, fighting from it, running from it, and to think that He didn't just get rid of me, He didn't just give up, but He still saved me, He loves me. Again, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Then it continues, verse 1, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Again, the world was not conscious of Jesus truly being the Son of God. They killed him, right? Jesus says, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When people cut you off in traffic, they don't realize you're the Son of God, right? You're the daughter of God. They don't realize that. That your big brother is Jesus Christ, that he's your best friend. They don't realize that. And the same thing is going to happen to us. Right, John 15, Jesus warns us. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Again, they don't recognize who we are. They don't know. I was listening to a, a Bible teacher. I don't know if I was going too far, but imagine sitting next to a blind person, watching a movie and being frustrated that they're not watching the movie with you, Right? You're sitting down and you're looking over a beautiful landscape, the mountains, and man, you see those mountains? No, man, I can't see anything. And being frustrated with them. How can you not see this? That's the way we need to realize this world, it doesn't see reality. It doesn't see the truth of who God is. That's why we need to be those ambassadors trying to reveal to them and show them the truth of God's word. Again, it doesn't know who he is. It doesn't know who we are. Verse 3, verse 2, sorry. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, right now there's mostly an inward work happening inside of us, right? Oftentimes we get saved or we ask to get a refilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you got water baptized yesterday and you get out of the water and you're like, nothing happened, right? I don't feel any different. Nothing's going on. I'm not floating, right? I'm still struggling with the same things. What's going on? And there's an inward work that's going on inside of us. 
It manifests itself in different areas of our life. Maybe your parents see you differently, your kids see you differently, but it's mostly an inward work. However, one day, all of humanity is going to see who Jesus truly is, right? Romans 14, verse 11, it tells us, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we're going to see him face to face, right? That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Right now we see in a mirror dimly. Right now it just seems foggy, right? We've, we read the Bible, we watch these corny movies, and we got a picture of what heaven's going to be like. But one day we're going to see him face to face. Right now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. Again, he's going to do that work. Are we excited about that? Do we have that hope within us? Is there a desire for us to go to heaven? Or do you have some worries right now? Are you excited about the rapture? Or do you say, ah, not right now, Lord. I, I, there's some things I have to fix, right? It's like if someone right now says, hey, can I go over your house t- right now for lunch in 30 minutes, right? And if your house is clean and impeccable, you have an incredible uh, family, incredible wife, whatever the case may be, yeah, sure, you can come on over. Everything's ready. But if your house is anything like mine, say, wait, uh, give me an hour, right? Give me an hour, and then you can come over, right? And make sure you bring the food, right? But then you can come over, right? And perhaps that's some of us, that we don't have that hope of heaven within us. Instead, we have a hope that he's going to delay. We say, Lord, don't come right now. There's some things I have to clean up. There's some things I have to work on, but I'm not really, really willing to work on them or clean them up right now. If not, I'd have them ready. I'm just trying to delay it. I'm just trying to kick that bucket down the the road, and one day I'll deal with it. No, instead, we should have this hope, and it should purify us that this incredible, right, the rapture or death itself, this pop quiz, no one knows the day or the hour, right, that it's going to happen. It's going to purify us. And it purifies us as what? Just as he is pure. James chapter 4 verse 8, it tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And then it tells us to cleanse our hands, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Family, as we grow in our walk with Christ, we should be being purified. We shouldn't just be struggling with the same sins for the past year or five years or 10 years or 20 years speaking the same way or acting the same way watching the same shows or watching the same movies there needs to be a purification process happening within us first peter chapter 1 verse 15 he tells us just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all that you do again family as you look back on this year in your walk with christ is there a line of growth Is there a line of maturity? Is there a line that you can see, right? You can look in the water and you look at the water a year ago when it's pitch black and you look at it now, it's getting a little bit lighter at least. Or is it the same? Is it worse? Are you worse off when it comes to sin and temptation than you were before? Again, don't be caught asleep. We should be ready. We should be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. You can think of Matthew 25, right? The parable of the ten virgins. Ten virgins, they're all invited. They're all supposed to be ready for the coming, right? And yet only five of them are ready. Only five of them are prepared. Only five of them have planned and are filled and are ready to go. Are you ready to go? The rapture comes right now. Are you ready? Say, ah, 
I can't wait, Lord. This is what I have been waiting for, Lord. I've been hoping for this. I have anticipation for this. Or are we saying, no, 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 not now, Lord. Not now, Lord. Please, not now. Please wait. Please delay. Again, do we have that hope? Are we being purified? Because then in verse 4, in a direct contrast to verse 3, right? Verse 3 tells us, if we have this hope in Him, it's going to purify us even as He is pure. And now contrary, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Again, this is directly contrast to verse 3. And now what John is giving us here, first he's giving us one of the best biblical definitions of sin, which is lawlessness. It's lawlessness. That's what it is. We talked about this back when we were going through the book of Genesis, but God, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of everything we see, we feel, we touch, everything around us. He's the one that's created everything. He's the boss. So he's the one who makes the rules. And now if we're going in line with him, man, it's good. There's a blessed life. There's a good life. But whenever we go against him, we're breaking God's law. And it just leads to lawlessness and more lawlessness. So that's the first thing John gives us here. The second thing for us to realize is that he uses the word practicing, right? That's truly what it means here. It's not he who commits sin. You just sin once and now all of a sudden you are lawlessness or you're just all about lawlessness. He's talking about practicing sin. That this is your life. This is your lifestyle. Sadly, maybe it's your identity that you've adopted. And it's lawlessness. It's not according to God's word. It's not according to God's law. And we can realize he's not talking about our battle with sin. He's not talking about our wrestling with sin. If you remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 and 10, and also chapter 2, verse 1, he tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we are going to sin. Even as believers, we're going to fall and wrestle with our flesh and with everything that's going on. But here, what John's talking about is the person who's practicing sin. The person who's at peace in their sin. The person who finds comfort in their sin. The person maybe right now that they're thinking, "Ah, I can't wait to go back to hang out with those people. Ah, There's just going to be so much comfort when I get back to that bottle or back to that drug. I can't wait till tonight and I can get on my computer or on my phone and uh, that's where I find peace, right? This is this type of person that they are committing lawlessness. They're going against God's word. And then in verse 5, what does it tell us? And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. So here, John, he gives us One of two reasons why Jesus has come down to earth. The purpose for Jesus coming. The first one he gives us here in verse 5. To take away our sins. That's why Jesus came. 
to take away our sins. He didn't come to comfort us in our sins. He didn't come to help us feel better about our sins. He didn't come to tell us that our sins are not really sins anymore because it's 2021. No, he came to take away our sins. And in fact, in him, there is no sin. Again, this is the whole reason why Jesus left heaven, left perfect communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It was to come here and take away sin. It's the same word in John chapter 1 verse 29. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, Old Testament, you could only sort of pay for your sins, right? You could only appease God for your sins with sacrifice. They would still be there. They would still exist. You would just have, have, have had appeased God for them. But now when Jesus has come, he takes away our sins, right? God's word tells us that he cast them as far as the east is from the west. That's what he does with our sins. Now God doesn't see us as a sinful person who's getting better. Now he sees us in the righteousness and blood and clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how he sees us. That's his whole purpose for coming here. So because that is his purpose, in verse 6 it tells us, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins, again, that's practicing, being at peace with, looking forward to, has neither seen him nor knows him. Are you paying attention to that? Are you living a habitual lifestyle of sin and you're saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die. Uh, there's this one pastor I follow on YouTube and he says it's okay, right? There's this one video I saw on TikTok and it says this sin really isn't sin, right? That's not what God's word tells us. He tells us if we are practicing sin, we have never seen him nor known him. You don't even know who he is. You've never met him. And again, we live in a day and age where so-called churches and ministries are telling people that sins are no longer sins. That certain lifestyles, sexual lifestyles that are lawlessness, right? Romans 1, they're going against what's natural, going against what God has created, what God has ordained. And they're saying, it's okay, it's fine. At the end, you're going to go to heaven. And that is just simply not the truth. That's not what God's word tells us, right? We need to confess our sins because God, Jesus, he needs to take away our sins, there's that battle, but we need to not be practicing over and over and over again sin, but instead we should be seeking to abide in Him, right? Sometimes we get carried away and we think, okay, the way I defeat this sin is to just keep thinking, don't do it, 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 right? And just drive yourself nuts and then you find yourself doing it, right? It's like if I tell you, hey, don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about pink elephant, the pink, pink elephant, what? Right? No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Instead, we should take that passion towards sin because sin it does it tastes good it feels good for a moment but instead what we should do is look to abide in Christ we should be seeking to make him our ultimate priority our ultimate love our ultimate joy and when those moments of weakness we can ask him to help us and create in us that clean heart Lord, help me to long for what you long for. Lord, help me to love you more. And if we abide in him, we're going to stay away from that sin. We could turn to John chapter 15. And in John 15, again, sort of the prequel to 1 John. But in John 15, here John, he uses the same word to abide. 
And maybe you're here and you're not that person who's finding peace in their sin. You're not that person who's practicing sin or comfort in sin. But right now you're being tormented. You're living a double life, right? And you're just being, there's no peace. There's no freedom anywhere. I encourage you to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus tells us, abide in me. Make your home, make your life in Jesus and Jesus in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, right? Unless it's plugged in and connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Again, family, we need to abide in him. The more we abide in him, the more we make our home, our lifestyle all about Jesus, the less and less we're going to sin. The more we're going to be purified. In 1 John 2 verse 6, right, it reminds us, whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. If we're here and saying, hey, I'm going to heaven when I die, we need to be walking and living as Jesus walked. As Jesus lived. This is the way. This is the lifestyle that we need. And then in verse 7, John, he gives us again part of the reason why he's writing all of this. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he, right, speaking of Jesus, is righteous. The whole reason for him getting so black and white, so brutally honest here is because John wanted none of them to be deceived. And I think we could be deceived two ways. What was going on here, right, was Gnosticism. It was a false doctrine that was telling them, hey, God, he only cares about your spirit. So what you do in your human flesh doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, right, sounds familiar. He sees your heart, right? At the end of the day, he sees what you really wanted to do. At the end of the day, even in your sin, you were really trying to love him and get to know him. So he's going to figure it out. At the end of the day, love wins. No, that's not the case. That's deception. That's a lie. The second thing is, I think many of us, we are self-deceived, right? We know the more we sin, the more that we're in darkness. We saw in chapter 2, the blinder and blinder and blinder we get. Maybe some of us as parents, we're blinded to our kids and the reality of where they are at with the Lord and not with the Lord. And John's giving us here black and white. If you live like this, you're a son of Satan. If you will live like this, you're a son of God. Because we need to make sure we are not being deceived. We need to know the truth. This is too important to be deceived. If we are practicing righteousness, if we are habitually walking in righteousness, if we are seeking to do righteousness, if we have joy and peace and happiness doing righteousness, man, you're plugged into the Lord. But if you're still at the point, right, in our BC days where we were like, you're going to church on Sunday? Not going to the dolphin game? What's wrong with you, man, right? And then it progresses. You're going to church on Sunday and Wednesday? Is that a cult? Is something wrong? What's going on, right? You're going to church Sunday and Wednesday and Monday and Friday? Why? What are you doing, right? That's the way we used to live. That was our old mindset. But now as you grow in love for the Lord, I can't wait to be there. 
As you grow in love for the Lord and love for the Lord's people, ah, man, I'd rather spend the day, right, in the house of the Lord than a thousand days elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. And now we begin to take on that heart and that mindset more and more. He continues there, right, in verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Second reason why John tells us Jesus came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to take away sin, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. And then verse 8 tells us, right, where did this whole mess start? What has the devil been doing since the beginning? The devil has been sinning since the beginning. He sinned in the beginning. It all started off with Satan, right? He was Lucifer. He was an angel. He was a worship leader. And then he bought into his own press. And then he said, I will ascend and be like God. Pride got the best of him. He said, I'm going to become like God. And at that moment, he wanted to fight God, be like him. So now God, he takes him and he casts him down. He creates hell. He throws him into hell. About one third of the angels, they follow Satan and they go down there. Then when he tempts Eve, what does he tell Eve? God's lying to you. If you eat of the fruit, what's really going to happen is that you're going to become like God. And that's when Eve, she bites into it. She goes for it. And again, the same lies happen to us today. When we try to decide and rewrite what the Bible is saying, when we try to say, hey, this really isn't sin, this is, this is okay, we're becoming like God. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth and the whole universe. He's the one that makes the law. And now when we sin, right, it's lawlessness. And we're saying, no, I'm creating my own law. In fact, I think I know more than God. I know more than the Bible. I know more. And that's the danger for us. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Again, we can't be a part of Jesus and a part of his work, be a part of his family and his DNA if we're doing the very thing he came to destroy. If we are practicing and living in constantly on a consistent basis, the very thing he came to destroy and eradicate and free us from. Again, freedom is found in sinning less and less and less. That's where freedom is. The world tells us, hey, where's freedom in doing whatever you want? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you feel like, right? Just, just follow your heart, right? That's, that's what the world tells us. And it tells us that there's peace there, there's freedom there, and there's, there's nothing but pain and agony and loneliness there. But now when we come to God and he strengthens us, he takes our wretchedness, our sins, he takes them off, and then he puts his righteousness upon us. He puts his spirit within us, and now we begin to sin less and less and less, and there's true freedom there. Life is really there, and that's what he has come to do. So which team are we a part of? Right? Maybe right now you're realizing, maybe I'm not on the team that I thought I was, right? We look at our lives, we look at our lifestyle, and we say, maybe I'm not saved, right? That's not that bad of a question to ask. One of the greatest problems we have in our nation or we used to have, maybe not so much, is just a culture of Christianity, right? Some of you here, especially some of you young ones, say, of course I'm a Christian. My parents were a Christian, and my grandparents were a Christian, and I live in a Christian nation, and I go to a Christian school, and I have a Christian dog who prays over their food, right? I have a Christian car with a fish on the back. I listen to Christian music. I have a Christian book bag. I wear Christian clothes. Of course I'm a Christian, and that is dangerous, 
It leads us to just think and assume, of course I'm saved. I was born into it, right? That's not the case. We need to come and say, I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And I need a Savior. I need Jesus to come in me and change me. And that will change us in a radical way. And that is what we need more than ever before, family, is true radical conversion. To be truly people who are excited about their salvation. Nothing that they deserve it or that they've been born into it. But people that realize, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. And yet Jesus saved me. That's what we need more and more. Just that excitement of pondering on God's love. And then we want to share it with the people around us. Again, whose team are you on? Which purpose are you fulfilling? Every once in a while at a, a little league game, right? You see little kids playing soccer or playing football and Little kid, right, he, he catches the football and he sees the open field and he thinks, oh, this is my day, right? Sports center, top 10, here we come, right? You see the little kids start running and all the parents are like screaming, right? No, right? The teammates are running after them. Why are you running after me, right? They're running in the wrong direction, right? They're headed towards the wrong goal. They score a point for the wrong team. And something that they thought was so great and amazing, it's, it's a blunder. Now you're on the not top 10, right? And now your parents have to talk to you about it. The coach has to talk to you about it. This moment of so amazing, it's, it's terrible, right? Maybe that's you here this morning, this afternoon. You're realizing you're not running in the same direction as God's word. And then that means you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. But the joy is, right? Verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That you may be here right now and you're still running in the wrong direction. But if you're willing to humble yourself... And confess your sin, Jesus Christ the righteous, he's willing to save you and change you and put his spirit inside of you even right here and right now. But we have to humble ourselves. Verse 8, right? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Again, practicing sin at peace and sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God again we looked at the scriptures here he's not talking about a sinless perfection we know he already told us if we say we have no sin we're deceiving ourselves the truth of God is not in us we're lying but Christ's spirit within us it keeps us from sin we should be sinning less and less and less And what's that seed, man? It's God's word within our heart. It's the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. We should be being purified. In James chapter 1 verse 18, it says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Again, his word, his spirit inside of us, it's right... The sperm that hits the egg that now becomes a life, that's what God does inside of each and every one of us. His word comes inside of us, it touches our hearts, and now we become life. We become born again. We have eternal life, not just in heaven, but right here, right now, we possess eternal life inside each and every one of us. You think of the parable of the sower, right? The seed was the word of God going forth. And God's word, it's our power against sin maybe you're here and you're constantly falling to sin man when was the last time you read god's word meditated on god's word tried to memorize god's word 
There's a book, it's called The Sinfulness of Sin. It's written by Ralph Venning. And in it, he says, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And there is nothing like it to wound and kill sin with. Again, if you really hate your sin, you've got to be in the word of God to put it to death, to cut it down. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By keeping it according to your word. It's all about God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have treasured and stored in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do we have that desire? That desire to, Lord, I don't want to sin. Or do we have that desire? Ah, I just want to sin. I just don't want anybody at church to see me doing it. I'm fine sinning. I just don't want my parents to see it. Again, the Lord, he sees all of it. And if we're practicing it, if that's where we find joy and peace, again, it's, it's dangerous. Romans 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, family, which team are you on? What do you love more? Do you love to sin more? Or do you love not sinning more? Charles Spurgeon, he says, Well, labor under no mistake, sir. He that commits sin is of the devil. It is no use making excuses or apologies. If you are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. If you who live after this fashion say that you have believed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, I do not believe you, sir. If you had true faith in that precious blood, you would hate sin. If you dare to say that you are trusting in the atonement while you live in sin, you lie, sir. You do not trust in the atonement for where there is a real faith in the atoning sacrifice, it purifies the man and makes him hate the sin which shed the Redeemer's blood. Again, it goes back to full circle. As we ponder God's love for us, Jesus' love for us, if it really has taken root in your heart, you don't want to sin more because all the pain, all the agony that Jesus went through was because of my sin. So now am I just going to do it all the more? Right? It's like Paul says, certainly not. No, his grace, it leads me, it drives me to not sin, to not want to sin, to not want to do that to my God. Family, which team are you on? Which side are you on? Finally, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We saw this in chapter 2, how there's two tests, right? There's the test of God's word and righteousness. Are we living in it? Are we living according to it? And then there's the moral test. How do we treat the people around us? How do we treat the church of God? Do we really love the people within the church or are they sort of a thorn in our side? I love Calvary Chapel Miami, but I just can't stand the people, right? Hopefully that's not you. That's wrong. That's not the right way to go. We should have a love growing and maturing within us for one another. Right? If you have a healthy marriage, you learn that you love your spouse more and more and more each year, each month that passes, right? I never thought I could love you more, but here I am. That's what should be happening within us for the church. It shouldn't be that. Ah, I used to go to church. I used to serve, but I just, I just grew past that, right? Yeah, yeah I used to, honey, I used to love you, but I, I just grew past that, right? That was when I was young and when I was dumb, but now I just do my thing, you do your thing, right? 
that shouldn't be within us. We should have a love for God and a love for his people cultivated within us. And here John, he makes a simple line in the sand. You could only be of two families. Either you're part of the family of God or you're part of the family of the devil. If you're not practicing righteousness, you're not of God. If you don't love brothers and sisters, Christians, you're not of God. He makes it so simple. If you're living in sin, you are not a child of God. If you are a child of God, you will be living in righteousness and not in sin. It may seem harsh, but Jesus, he would tell people all the time, right? Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. You're right, you don't, you don't have a husband, right? You've been with five men, and now the man you're with right now is not your husband, right? Jesus would put things black and white, but it was all to take their sins. It was all to destroy the work of Satan happening right here and right now. So again, family, may we ponder. May you chew on. I encourage you tonight, tomorrow morning, turn off the distractions and just sit down and think of God's love for you. How gracious he's been, how merciful he's been, how kind he's been so often when we don't deserve it. I encourage you to ponder on his incredible love, which he has what? Lavished on us. Didn't give us little sprinkles, little bits. No, he's lavished it upon us. I encourage you, purify yourself. Seek to cut off the sins and weights which so easily ensnare us. There's no freedom there. There's no peace there. There's no joy there. It's only found in being purified as he is pure. We're never going to be sinless in this life, but we should be sinning less and less. Finally, may we purpose to be like our parent. May we purpose to have sin flee from us and not run towards it, right? May we purpose to destroy the works of the devil and not be a part of the works of the devil. May that be our purpose because that's God our Father's purpose. That was Jesus' purpose, Jesus' plan on this earth. So again, may we just be a part of it. May we be looking at the world around us and be brokenhearted for unbelievers. As we're walking back from the beach after the baptism and just thinking, man, Lord, how many souls here just... They don't know you. They're just trying to fill that void with all these different things. And Lord, they don't know you. Again, that we would purpose to be like Christ.